0: past number of weeks together we've been looking at Moses receiving by divine revelation God's instruction to him showing him there on the mountain uh, in the glory cloud revelation of this sort of portable worship system that God was going to institute among the congregation of Israel the tabernacle and all of its construction and the dimensions and the furnishings uh, and then ultimately beginning to speak about then who would be the ministers and those who attend uh, to this portable worship system and the different furnishings and sacrifices and the altar of incense and so forth now coming to the institution of the priesthood. And we looked last time uh, in chapter twenty eight, Uh, Chapters 28 and 29 give to us really the institution and the inauguration of the priesthood, uh, their garments that were to be made for them, that they were to wear, how they were to be clothed and sort of equipped. Uh, And chapter 29 now sort of almost gives us, I guess you could sort of almost say, the ordination ceremony instructions for how to inaugurate the priesthood, to put them into their ministry role, uh, and to sort of begin their ministry. And the instructions are given for that Here uh, in chapter 29, as we look at it this evening, last week we saw the different garments that they were to wear. And as we were ending our time last week in chapter 28, verse 41, sort of in a summarization sentence in chapter 28, verse 41, uh, God said regarding Aaron and his sons as priests, you shall anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. Uh, and that's sort of a summarization statement of really what we now have expounded upon here in chapter 29, how they were to be specifically and literally sort of sanctified and consecrated, set apart and anointed for service to then enter into their ministry uh, to the Lord and on behalf of the congregation of Israel as representatives of the Lord. And we talked about how the priesthood is really a twofold ministry. A priest in the Old Testament kind of had a dual responsibility. It was a a mediator type role. Uh, They represented God to the people. So in a sense, they stood before the people as a representative of God to reveal the ways of God to teach the law, to represent the heart of the Lord and to explain the ways of God to the people in the sense they were God's representative before the people. Uh, And in the same way, they also represented the people uh, before God in the sense that they would stand in a role of intercession whereby they would make atonement for the sins of the nation once a year on the day of atonement the great the high priest would go in on that great day into the holy of holies which we looked at and applied the blood there upon the mercy seat uh, in the most holy place there Uh, they also by their intercession and uh, ministry in that sense sort of represented the people before god and stood in the gap and we talked as well about how the new testament teaches us first timothy or excuse me first peter chapter two as well as in the book of revelation were even referred to as uh, in a sense uh, those who have a priestly ministry first peter says that we are a royal priesthood he says that we're a a, a a holy priesthood a chosen generation so in a sense new testament believers the bible teaches we have a priest-like ministry of course jesus Is our great high priest. The whole book of Hebrews describes that to us. So all these things in the great high priest. Uh, in the Old Testament and all of his ministries and functions, ultimately they pointed to foreshadow and in many ways represent Jesus, who is now the one mediator between God and man, uh, the man Christ Jesus, uh, He is the intermediary between uh, humanity and divinity as the one who was God and man simultaneously. But the Bible says we, in a sense, have inherited uh, a priesthood as New Testament believers that God wants to use us to represent him to the world, the salt and light witnesses and we also uh, can stand in the gap in the same way a priest would by our intercession for people and praying for people and standing in the gap for those who don't know the Lord sort of in that same function so as we look at these things certainly there are things that we can sort of draw from them and we hope to find what we can that's applicable uh, for our lives as well as we look at these things chapter 29 begins now by uh, God saying to Moses And this is what you shall do to them. Again, we're talking about Aaron and his sons. Aaron would be the high priest. His sons would function as priests as well in succession to him uh, in the Aaronic line. This is what you shall do to them, to hallow them. The idea is to to set them apart. They were to be hallowed or set apart. They had a unique role and calling. They were to live distinctively different, not because they were more holy or more righteous in a sense, but because God called them to this ministry. They were sanctified by the Lord, chosen by the grace of God. We talked about that last time, but the Lord says, this is how you shall hallow them or set them apart for ministering to me as priests now uh, just again by way of remembrance here as we see this re-emphasized again we pointed out to you last week as we saw this multiple times mentioned in chapter 28 here it surfaces again so we know again god's trying to re-emphasize something here in chapter 29 verse 1 as god talks about their ministry As priests, again, we see this statement, ministering to me as priests. Again, God doesn't use the the terminology, they shall minister for me, as priests. Now, in a functional sense, yeah, of course they did. Uh, they ministered for the Lord as they served the people of God on behalf of the congregation of Israel. But the way God, from his divine perspective, saw their ministry is that their ministry, first and foremost, was unto him, vertically. Now, they didn't do what they did for the people for the people's approval or even in a sense because of the people they did it because of their personal relationship to the Lord their ministry was to the Lord their commitment their obligation was to the Lord it was to be acceptable to the Lord not was it acceptable to the people was it acceptable to the Lord and they were to minister to the Lord in a personal way first and foremost and it was out of that ministry to the Lord and their personal devotion that they then in a sense were then an able to have a horizontal outflow with the divine anointing and the heart of God to be able to then uh, transfer the ministry that God wanted to use them in to minister on the horizontal to people and of course as I said this is just a good reminder for us because a lot of times we you know we want to serve the Lord we want to minister for the Lord we talk a lot about that and quite honestly Christians can you know we can almost idolize ministry uh, you know I, I i can tell you firsthand i mean i, I love to serve the lord uh, the bible says i delight to do your will O god and uh, and that we should serve the lord with gladness the bible says and uh, in light of that a lot of times when we endeavor serving the lord uh, if we're not careful people can almost make an idol out of the ministry uh, whereby they find their identity in serving the lord and, and in a sense their whole identity is wrapped up i do this in the church, or I do this for the Lord. I'm a this, or I have this title. I'm a, a that, or a deacon, or a elder, or a pastor, or you know, or a Bible teacher, or an usher, or a children's ministry worker. When the reality is, is our identity is that we are robed in the righteousness of Christ, and our identity is in our relationship to the Lord. And we have to be careful. We don't ever want to elevate ministry and ministering for the Lord to an unhealthy level, because if If our outgo exceeds our intake, then our upkeep will become our downfall. Does that make sense? I heard that years ago. It just sounds good. I'm sure if I still understand what it means, but if our outgo, what we're trying to do for the Lord, running over here, ministering this, doing that, if our outgo exceeds our intake, our personal intake as a Christian, whereby we're reading the Bible for us, And we're praying because we want to pray and have a relationship with God. And our first priority is not ministering for the Lord, but just saying, you know what? I just want to sit in the sanctuary and and I'm content if I just minister to the Lord. I love the Lord. I want to worship the Lord. Not can I, you know, can I do, but what can I just, I just want to love the Lord. And if our outgo of what we're trying to do, even in the realms of spirituality, exceeds our personal intake spiritually, then our spiritual upkeep of trying to then survive off of the fumes of what we're neglecting and ministering to the Lord personally will become our downfall. And that will begin to drain us. And we have to really be careful. I think as God was establishing these ministry roles and the priesthood here, there's definitely something to be taken note of and to learn from. That that should be our number one priority ministering to the Lord when we keep that focus and have that right perspective. Then we can be effective to minister for the Lord as well so here god's giving his instructions this is how now you're to sanctify and hollow and set apart for their ministry of the priesthood to me as priests he says to them chapter 29 verse 1 take one young bull and two rams without blemish again we take note as god's instituting the things of the sacrificial system now they were to take animals without blemish this of course begins to foreshadow things we see ultimately in the new testament as these things prefigure christ Peter says to us that we were uh, redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a a lamb without spot or blemish. Again, the idea is Jesus had no inherent sin. He he committed no sin. uh, And the animals were to be without defect or blemish when they were offered as a sacrifice upon the altar of God. And because these things in many ways were prefiguring the sinlessness of Christ as the ultimate sacrifice. So take one bull, two rams, they were to be without blemish, unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers, whatever they were, anointed with oil, and you shall make them of wheat flour, just in case you were concerned about that, make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull, and the two rams so verse one to three god tells moses look gather these things these particular animals these particular uh you know uh, portions of bread and wheat and so forth and the oil and bring these things as the ingredients and the instruments that will be used in a sense in the ordination ceremony now of the priesthood to inaugurate them to start their ministry now uh, take note here as you look at these things together tonight uh, with me these are the instructions given now the actual institution of these things won't take place till actually Leviticus chapters 8 and 9 you almost see a repetition of these things here if you begin to read the book of Leviticus at this point Moses is just receiving all this by instruction and these things will then be later instituted but this is sort of instruction regarding the ceremony of the ordination of the priesthood Verse four, uh, let's see how some of this unfolds. Verse four says, and Aaron and his sons, you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So right at the entrance of the place of worship. And I find that interesting. Bring them to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Again, uh, their very first thing they would do is to be brought to the door. And Jesus says in the New Testament, I am The door, I am the gate of the sheep. And you know, until you have gone through the doorway of salvation, uh, you in no way should ever begin uh, to be interested in somehow serving the Lord or doing the things of the ministry. The work of the Lord is for the people of the Lord that know the Lord. Uh, And here they were to be brought to the entry point into the place where God's presence dwelt and where He manifested Himself. Uh, and, and when they were brought there, the first thing that was to be done, notice verse four, God tells Moses, and you shall wash them with water. Now, take note of the language there. There's no mistake in the Hebrew. It literally indicates you shall bathe them. It doesn't indicate they should take a bath. Now, later on, when the laborer, uh, we'll see in a chapter ahead. They received instructions for that laver, which would basically, out in the courtyard where the bronze altar was, there was a laver that basically held a bunch of water, and that's where the priests would wash themselves in between the sacrifices. They would cleanse themselves ceremonially to purify themselves for their work. Uh, It also was a place where they would wash themselves in the midst of all the bloody sacrifices and the things that they were offering on the altar. Uh, But here in the ordination and the inauguration of the ministry they were entering into notice it doesn't say they were to bathe themselves or take a bath everything that we're reading about here basically isn't something that they were doing to themselves it's something that was being done to them and i think that there's no mistake in that because we really don't do anything to in a sense put ourselves or place ourselves or make us acceptable for ministry the lord does things in us he chooses us by the grace of God. He anoints us, he enables us, he equips us, he clothes us, he empowers us. And here, the first thing that was to be done is God says, you shall wash them with water. So basically, uh, Moses and some other representatives were basically to, in a sense, bathe or wash Aaron and his sons. Now, I, I don't know about you, but there's a part of that, that I mean, if I'm just realistic, that, you know, That seems just a little bit uh, probably awkward, but you think it would be a little bit humbling to basically have to stand there publicly. This is public. This is before the outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They basically had to stand there while somebody else bathed them and basically let somebody give them a bath. And there's something about that that's certainly a little bit humbling as they were in a sense cleansed. And and I think there are two things here. In a sense, the Lord was indicating to them in this uh, preparation for their ministry and the inauguration of their service for the Lord. Uh, First of all, God was reminding them that it was important that they be cleansed of any personal defilement within themselves so that they would be a clean and prepared and acceptable vessel of honor for the Lord's use. know there are a lot of representations of terminology for sin in the Old Testament. One of them very clearly is defilement. So to wash, they were, in a sense, they were washing the dirt and the defilement off of themselves. And I think that it is an important thing, again, that the Bible says that we should seek to be vessels of honor fit for the master's use. And and, and there is an, an aspect of needing, in a sense, to be washed and to be cleansed of some things in our lives on occasion. And sometimes that's a process that needs to take place in us to be prepared at times to be a useful, ready vessel to step into the ministry that maybe God has called us to. Sometimes I, I think maybe we just need to be cleansed and defiled from maybe some habits and sinful tendencies that we should not be living in, not only as a Christian, but absolutely we should not be living in if we're going to try and put our hands on the holy blood bought things of the eternal ministry of Jesus Christ. And sometimes the Lord says, you know what, look, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're uh, enthusiastic about serving me, but, but we actually need to minister to you and clean some things up in your life. First, so that you don't have a sense of defilement within yourself and I'm not having to work through a defiled vessel. Now listen, is any one of us perfect? Absolutely not. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. None of us would qualify. But we know if there are areas in our lives that may be in a sense are not right before the lord and if some of those areas exist you know it's important to, to to allow the lord to wash us to help us to cleanse us through the washing of the water of his word and the victory that he gives to us that that defilement would get out of our lives personally so that we would be a clean proper healthy usable vessel for the lord and I think that's a, a process that needs to happen. In our lives. I think sometimes even the Lord may need to just kind of wash over our minds with his word because sometimes we have some defiled ideas about what ministry is supposed to be. And sometimes the Lord says, you know, I need to clean some of these ideas and concepts out of your mind about what ministry really is supposed to be. And how ministry is to be on. And sometimes the Lord will put us in that place where as a part of the preparation process, he wants to kind of wash and cleanse from us some things really that would just kind of uh, defile the purity of the ministry that he wants to accomplish because maybe some things need to be kind of cleansed from our perspectives or, or those kind of things. And it is interesting, as I said, getting that bath, no doubt, had to be a very humbling experience. And it would go without saying, That it is not a healthy, wonderful, and essential thing that the Lord humble us to an extent to prepare us to be a usable vessel for the ministry in which he's called us to. There is a process whereby the Lord says, you know, I want to use you, but I also need to humble you a little bit in some ways and I need to take you through a process where there is some personal humbling and, and a little bit of of a, of a humbling process so that I can lift you up and use you in the way I want to use you. you know, the Bible tells us humble yourself in the sight of the Lord that he may lift you up in due time uh, and certainly I think I, I look at my life and I think how one of the biggest thorns in the flesh through all the years that I've had the privilege to to serve the Lord, many times has been the thorn of of my own pride. And and I look how many ways the Lord has had to, over the years, just continuously keep trying to knock wind out of my sails and to continue to deflate those things that are just uh, prideful and unhealthy, that there would be a humility and a humbling process so that his grace may rest upon us and he might use us to the greatest degree. So they were cleansed in a sense it was a humbling experience. Verse 5, then you shall take the garments we looked at them together last week in chapter 28 to great extent. Take the garments, put on the tunic onto Aaron and then the robe of the ephod, that was the blue robe. And then the ephod, that was sort of the vest that was attached at the shoulders with the two onyx stones with the names of the tribes of Israel. And the breastplate, remember with the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel uh, and the Urim and the Thummim were inside the pocket of that. Gird him with that intricately woven band of the ephod and you shall put the turban on his head and the holy crown on the turban the little uh, gold emblem that would go on the front that said holiness to the lord so the second thing that we see take place in this inauguration process is basically they after they are washed are now clothed they're to be clothed with the garments that were prepared for them Uh, in a sense you could say they were then equipped with what god wanted them to have to be able to perform their ministry And certainly a lot of times the reason why the Lord needs to wash us of things and and humble us is to strip away from us self-sufficiency and human striving and personal effort and all these things so that he can then equip us with what he wants to equip us with to do his work. And for them, it was these particular garments, but it's a picture of them now being dressed and prepared and equipped with what God needed to give to them to be able to do the work that he wanted them to function in and to serve in that way. And certainly all of us, there's an equipping process. Part of being prepared to serve the Lord in our priestly ministry, whatever it may become in the outflow of our life as a as a Christian, is sometimes the Lord says, you know, there's a process whereby I need to equip you a little bit. I need to get you equipped and get you prepared in a sense suited up and ready to then go forth and to ultimately serve. And there is a, there's a, a time of an equipping process that we can't, uh, I think, try and brush past or, or overlook. Here they were then dressed and these clothes were put upon them. And in a sense, it's a, it's a beautiful picture as well of just how from a New Testament perspective, it symbolically speaks of how we are not only washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, but the Bible also tells us that we are then clothed with the righteousness of christ that the lord takes away our filthy garments of sin and defilement and he then robes us with the righteousness of Christ. Isaiah 61 speaks about how we were given the garments of salvation and the robes of righteousness. When you read in the New Testament in Colossians and the book of Ephesians, it even speaks of how on a daily basis that we are to put off the old man and put on the new man, clothing ourselves with that new nature that we've received in Christ. And no doubt some of these things speak of that, how we are clothed with the garments of salvation as a christian as we live and serve the lord verse seven then they are told and you shall then next take the anointing oil and put it on his head and anoint him and the picture here is not keep in mind it's not just you know a little dab of oil and touch his forehead there or something like that how many times you're glad that when we if you ask to be anointed with oil and have the elders pray over you uh you're glad that we don't just take the whole bottle of olive oil or whatever and just dump that thing over your head and you know send you out of church with just oil dripping down your head but in an old testament perspective when they would anoint someone typically there was a horn of oil it was like a whole you know, a vessel full of oil and they would pour out the entire vessel over the head. If you read Psalm 133, it speaks about, you know, the anointing oil running down the beard of Aaron and and it gives the imagery of what it was like when you were anointed, whether you were anointed as a king of Israel or you were anointed for the priesthood in this capacity, it was poured over them. And oil, we know, in the Old Testament speaks symbolically of the spirit, uh, it's a symbolic reference to the Holy Spirit so it's, it's a picture of how when they were anointed with oil that they were in a sense being anointed with the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit for what their office was again whether it was to enter in as a king of Israel whether here it's to serve as a priest it was a picture of the divine enablement of God that God's anointing was upon you his unction from his spirit was there to empower you and enable you for the particular office that you were being put into to serve in that capacity with divine enablement and power. And no doubt, again, just a very important reminder of how you know, we need as well in whatever capacity we're going to serve the Lord in. We need the anointing oil, the spirit of God to be upon our lives. Because listen, we can be well equipped with education from institutions and having read all the books of how to do this ministry and, you know, the five steps to successful that and plans and you know, strategies and, and have all the research well done and, and tried to, you know, get all of our garments and, and be all thoroughly equipped. But if we don't have the anointing oil of the Spirit of God upon us, we're not going to be effective for the Lord in the way that he intends us to be. Keep in mind, Jesus said to his disciples, and remember, they had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. They had ministered side by side with the Lord, shared in his ministry, watched him, learned from him, heard him teach, observed that firsthand, saw him care for people and minister to people and, and do everything he did. Jesus even at times sent them out He gave them opportunities to go out and kind of try out their ministry and and to go out and to minister to people and to preach and to heal the sick and, and to do miracles. And yet then Jesus still said to them, they had already been filled with the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them, John 20. So they were already born again. They had already received the Holy Spirit. But then Jesus said to them, but wait until you are endued with power from on high. In other words, listen, he said, you are still in need of something before you go out and do your ministry. I know you understand a lot. You've learned a lot. You've been well trained. I mean, I don't think you'd be better trained than a three and a half year on the job training seminary with Jesus Christ having walked with us. You know, I think that's a pretty good uh, preparation process. And yet Jesus said to them, But do not go into all the world and preach the gospel and do not start your ministry. Wait until you've been endued with power from on high, until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Again, essential and critical. And the same for us. We need the anointing of the Spirit of God to be upon us because that is what brings effectiveness to what we do in our service for the Lord, whatever it may be, even as they were anointed here, symbolically picturing how the Spirit of God would rest upon them. Verse 8, And then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them, and you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put hats on them. And the priesthood, notice, shall be theirs, that is the sons of Aaron, for a perpetual statute. And so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons again the idea here god speaking of the succession of the priesthood in the old testament prior to the time of christ it was a succession through the Aaronic line that is the family line of aaron his sons would then take over the ministry and again that was for one reason and one reason only it was by god's divine design it was who god called it was who God selected, it was who God chose and determined that the succession of the ministry would go from Aaron to his sons. It wasn't that Aaron and his sons, as we said last week, were the most talented, necessarily the most spiritual, the most experienced. Just It was God's He's God, he has divine prerogative. And by the grace of God, he selected Aaron and he said, and then the succession shall continue through Aaron's line. He says here, it shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. Again, it was God's selection of Aaron and his sons. God selected who would serve in those ministry capacities for him and his worship ministry and the kingdom work. Again, Hebrews 5 says this regarding the priesthood, It says this, no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, as Aaron was. Important verse regarding the priesthood in the Old Testament, regarding ministry in any capacity, all the way through the New Testament, a spiritual principle. God selects. God chooses who to put into ministry. God determines those things. And he says, no one takes this honor to himself. They must be called by God just as the pattern existed all the way back from Aaron in the days of old. And that's so important. Again, listen, th- this is the church. This is a spiritual thing. Okay? Th- th- this is not politics. I understand how we do politics. We don't candidate for ministry roles. We don't, we don't propose ourselves for ministry positions. You know, th- this isn't a business. So we don't present resumes for re- ministry opportunities. We look for the spirit of God to identify who he's called. We look for the spirit of God to say, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for this particular work to that, which that's what we look for. This is a spiritual thing. And, and we need to recognize that we look for the call of God. We look for God to represent and identify who he has selected, who he wants to institute in those capacities. And it's a work of his grace. But we don't take the honor to ourselves. We don't put ourselves in a role or, or we look for the call of God. No one takes this honor to himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron was. Verse 10, you shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron and his sons, notice, shall put their hands on the head of the bull and we'll see this idea continue throughout the Old Testament. The idea of putting their hands on the head of the animal was an idea of of transference. They were identifying with that animal that would be sacrificed. And in a sense, saying in a substitutional way, there's a transference of their guilt to that innocent substitute that would be sacrificed on their behalf. So Aaron and his sons were to put their hand on the head of this bull. And then after they put their hands on it, the idea is transferring their guilt because this will be a sin offering. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the intestines, the inside of the animal, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them, that is all the you know internal organs of the animal that was slaughtered and sacrificed here. You were to burn that upon the altar, but the flesh of the bull with its skin and offal, you shall burn with fire outside of the camp. And God says, it is a sin offering. Now, interesting, God reminds the priests that even as they entered into their ministry, listen, you need the forgiveness of sin in the same way all the people that you minister to as well. It was a very, a very strong indication of them that you are a sinner. Before a holy God just as much as and just because you're in this role does not mean you're more holy, you're more righteous. And and God wanted to impress upon them and impress upon all the people that look, yes, this individual needs the forgiveness of sin like everyone else and here. Their sin had to be atoned for. It began with a sin offering. For them to recognize their sinfulness. They put their hand upon the animal. Again as I said the idea is. Many times they would confess their guilt over the animal. And here we begin to see this Old Testament pattern. And two very important words. That you should keep in your mind. Because they're, they're vastly important. Regarding biblical understanding. And that is substitution. And transference. Substitution and transference. This was an innocent Substitute. And as they would put their hand on that animal, the idea was they were they recognized they were guilty and they had to transfer their guilt. And that guilt was transferred over to an innocent substitute. And now this innocent life is going to die as a substitute on behalf of my guilty life. And when they would do this and watch this bull, you know, have its juggler slit and the blood begin to pump out of it until gradually it became lifeless and fell over and there's blood all over the ground and then they would you know slaughter the thing and put it on the altar and watch it be consumed it was a you oh, it sounds kind of i mean gross and yucky i'm like how overly uh, vivid well you know it was intended to be that way because it was intended to drive home an impression in their minds that this is what's required because you are guilty this innocent substitute must die on your behalf. Something innocent must lose its life in order for you as a guilty individual to be set free and to be right with God. And it was a really strong impression, no doubt pushed into their minds mentally. They understood this concept of substitutionary death. And transference of their guilt being transferred to something else that died as a substitute for them and took the punishment and the death that they deserved as it was sacrificed. And, of course, all these things just beautifully picture what we understand with Jesus Christ, how he is the innocent substitute who died on the cross for our sins as the guilty ones, and our sin has been transferred onto the righteous, sinless life of Jesus Christ, who ultimately became our sin offering, and our guilt has been transferred over to him, and he, in a substitutional way, died for us, and he he had to he had to die in that substitutional way so that we could be right with God and have forgiveness of sins and have a relationship with God. so it began with a sin offering. And then secondarily, we now see a burnt offering. You shall also take one ram, Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram and you shall kill the ram and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar and you shall cut the ram in pieces. And this went a step further. Notice this time you shall wash its entrails and legs and put them with its pieces with the head so this time they were to slaughter the animal they were to fillet it open not just take the intestines and the internal organs out but they were to take them out and they actually were to then wash them to wash all the you know the blood and so forth off of them in this process and then verse 18 says you shall burn circle this word the whole ram on the altar It is a burnt offering to the Lord, a sweet aroma. The Hebrew there literally is a savor of rest, a savor of rest unto the Lord, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So here we have reference to the burnt offering and notice the sin offering part of the animal was put on the altar. Another part of it was taken outside of the camp where it was burned. That's a picture of Jesus as well, because Hebrews tells us that Jesus was crucified outside the, the camp, outside the city. So it pictured how the death of Christ would take place in the sin offering. But here in the burnt offering, notice the entire sacrifice, the entire animal, the whole thing was consumed on the altar. The whole thing was just burnt and completely consumed and given over to the altar and the fire. And the burnt offering becomes a picture of complete consecration. The idea is, as you would offer a burnt offering, it was a picture symbolically of your worship of, Lord, my entire life. Nothing held back. Everything. I put it all on the altar. I consecrate everything over to you. And you know what? In our, our commitment to the Lord, that should be where we're at. Hebrews Excuse me. Romans chapter 12 says, you know, that we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is our reasonable service, that we should consecrate our whole life over to the Lord. And when we're going to minister for the Lord, that we're not going to just give the Lord half or a part of us. But no, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm wholly and completely committed to this and I put the whole thing upon the altar. I put everything there that you would just use it for your purposes that it might be a sweet offering unto you that brings pleasure to you as you see the wholeness of my life being given over to you. Verse 19, you shall also take the other ram and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram again and you shall kill that ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, the tip of the right ear of his sons and on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and his son's garments with him. He and his garments shall be hallowed and his son's garments with him. So here we see this process whereby now this anointing oil, which we'll read about the ingredients in chapter 30, uh, and this blood, which was shed again in the sacrifice. Now it's actually applied not just to the furnishings of ministry, but actually to Aaron and his sons themselves applied to their garments and this very interesting process in verse 20 where notice some of the blood was to be put on the right ear some was to be dabbed on the right thumb of the right hand and then on the big toe of the right foot now no doubt just picturing the idea there is that god was saying to aaron in in the priesthood and to his sons listen in service to me I I want your ear to be consecrated to my voice. And and as that blood was applied to you, the idea is God was saying, I purchased not only all of you, but but your hearing. It matters to me, it belongs to me. And now I want your ear to be open to my voice. And I want you to follow my will. Not your will, not the will of the people, not the ideas and suggestions, but I want you to hear my voice. Aaron, as you serve me, you have to listen to my voice. You have to have an ear that's in tuned to what I would want to say to you in my word and, and by my voice and by my spirit. And the, the right hand, no doubt, was a picture of the work that he would do and what his hands were involved in. Your hands belong to me now. And I want to be in control of what you do and how you work and, and how your, in a sense, hands and gifts are used. I will want to consecrate it consecrated over to me. And the right foot being, again, sort of anointed with the blood there of the sacrifice was a picture of where he would go with his feet, where, where he would go and where he wouldn't go. And as we serve the Lord, you know what? Nothing less for us. The Lord wants your ear. He wants you to be listening to his voice. He wants you to listen to him, not only just in your personal walk, but especially in the ways that you serve him in his ministry because it's his ministry. It's not ours. And he wants you to listen to his voice of how he wants you to minister. And he wants your hands to be consecrated over to him. Okay, Lord, here are my, how do you want to use me? my hands and everything in them and and my capacities you know, the work that i do it all belongs to you what, how would you have me work what would you have me do and lord my feet where would you have me go do you want me to go over here do you want me to go over there wherever you want to lead me lord my feet where you want me to journey it all belongs Verse 22 then begins to describe, rather in lengthy, cumbersome language, the wave offering. So to be merciful to you, I'll just sort of read through these verses and sort of summarize them. He says, also you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat of the tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that's before the Lord. And you shall put all these things into the hands of Aaron. So he was to hold them. And you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. And you shall receive back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord is an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord. It shall be your portion. And from the ram of consecration, you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering, which is waved and the thigh of the heave offering, which is raised. That which is for Aaron and that which is for his sons. And it shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statute forever. It is a heave offering and it shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings. That is their heave offering to the Lord. So you go, what in the world is all that? Wave offering, heave offering. Again, when you hear the word wave, don't picture in your mind like what we, you know, the stadium, you know, the, everybody in there is kind of, you know, doing the wave. The idea here, in fact, if you look in verse uh, 24, it almost kind of gives maybe the clearest representation He says, put it into his hands and then he shall wave it before the Lord. The idea of of passing it before the presence of the Lord. The idea of a wave offering was, the indication was a presentation unto the Lord. Uh, Waving it before the Lord. Lord, it belongs to you. And, and, And my hands, I'm just holding it with a light grip, Lord. And the idea of presenting something to the Lord, that you're presenting to the Lord with an open hand, Lord, it's from you. It belongs to you. So here it is, Lord. It's yours. Uh, And I certainly think not only in life and all of our resources, but by all means, from a more contextual perspective, when it comes to the things of the Lord's ministry and his work, uh, I pray by the grace of God that any act of service we do for the Lord within his church or as we serve the Lord in the world, that we would have an open hand and say, Lord, uh, it's not mine. It belongs to you. Uh, and, and whatever you want to do with it Lord, here I just I I present it before you. It belongs to you. We're just stewards, and so we just present this before you, and, and and want to, in a sense, honor you in whatever way you would have us to handle those things that you've entrusted to us. So the sin offering, a burnt offering, was inaugurated, and then also there was to be this wave offering, all a part of the ordination ceremony. For the institution of the priesthood. verse twenty nine and the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him, to be anointed in them, and to be consecrated in them, that son become who becomes priest in his place, verse thirty, shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place so that the succession of the priesthood would happen God gave instruction of how they were to handle that once Aaron had passed off the scene in his ministry verse 31 and you shall take the ram of consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place and then Aaron and his son shall notice eat the flesh of the ram and some of the bread that was in that basket that we saw back in verses 1 and 2 by the door of the tabernacle of meeting, they shall eat those things which the atonement was made, but an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or of the bread remains until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten, the idea is by a commoner, because it says it is holy. So here God gives instruction, and this will be a pattern in the Levitical um, Ministry and the Aaronic priesthood and the Old Testament worship system whereby the way that the priests and the Levites were sustained and cared for was through the offerings that were made to God by the congregation of Israel as they would come. A portion of what was brought as an offering to the Lord for the sacrifices, what was burnt on the altar, the grain offerings, the animal sacrifices, a portion of that was to be then set apart to sustain Aaron and his sons to sort of compensate and sustain them in their priestly ministry to give their full attention to what they did. Verse 35, he then says, and then thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I've commanded you. And it seems quite extensive what we've read, doesn't it? But then look at this next statement. Seven days you shall consecrate them and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it and anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Now, if that you know, inauguration process didn't seem extensive enough. Then God gives instruction here toward the end. He says, "You shall do this seven days." The implication seems to be, and I could be mistaken, but the implication most believe seems to indicate they were to repeat this process every day for seven days. And. and uh, Again, the the number seven in the Bible is typically the number of completion. The idea is, is I want a complete ordination. I want a complete consecration and, and, and I want them to be completely, adequately, sufficiently prepared, understanding fully what they're entering into you can imagine how the first day was all kind of a little bit of a okay we we'll go through this process do i get the bath here and you know then we do the sacrifices and then we get the little blood on the ear and okay there's the thumb and there's the toe and you know all this process going on and and, and then the next day here's the, okay here's the bath again you know and and then we'll go out, here we go and there's the ear and there's the thumb and there's the toe and and again as god's doing this i think part of what god is trying to emphasize as there's this repetition, the re-emphasizing of this, and they had to stay there. Leviticus seems that they had to stay there at the tabernacle. They couldn't go home day or night for seven days straight. They had to stay there through this process. I think God was just wanting to impress upon the priesthood and the ministers the idea that this was not something that you're to enter into hastily. So was not to be something that you were to flippantly Or casually, or irreverently, just say, "Okay, yeah, this, that, and what do I got to do to what I got to do to jump through the hoops to start my priestly ministry? What are the boxes I got to check? Okay, a little dab will do you. There you go, and then that and that. Come on, man, I want I want to get to my priesthood." God slowed them down, and made them think through, and no doubt there was time to reflect, and to meditate, and the gravity of the reality of those things and the sacrifices and the whole process I think was something God purposely was doing to kind of emphasize into the hearts of those who were called to minister on his behalf this is a very serious thing you are representing the almighty God this is sacred this is serious and you know I pray by the grace of God in whatever capacity he allows us to serve him that that there would be, you know, a a sense of seriousness, a a sense of sobriety in our hearts that, man, this is blood-bought. You know, Paul told the overseers, the elders in Ephesus, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, he said, serving as overseers. And he said, the church of God, which was purchased with his own blood. and, And I think it's healthy and important for us to, to, to not just flippantly enter in or casually approach the service or work of the Lord and, and, and let familiarity even breed contempt, but that we, there would be a part of us that's, that's reverent about it and realizes, you know, I need the anointing of the Lord. I can't just, well, I've been doing this for so long. I'm so experienced. And, and all of a sudden, we, we almost kind of get a little self-sufficient and we, you know, we just think we can push the buttons and know all the hell it works. And, and all we care about is just doing whatever we got to do so we can kind of do our thing. But instead that we would slow down and understand and recognize before we enter in the reality of what we have the privilege and the sacred honor to do. And that as we're serving even, that we would keep just a, a humble, sober perspective. And no doubt I think that was emphasized as they went through these things. Verse 38, let's finish up these last few verses. It says, now this is what you shall offer on the altar. These were Then the daily offerings, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually, one lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hint of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hint of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight and offer it with a grain offering and drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So notice, this then as they instituted the tabernacle worship system and the priests began to minister, This was part of their responsibility. Every day there was to be a ram offered notice every morning and every evening. There was a morning sacrifice and there was an evening sacrifice. And and as the people put down their tents, their tent door was always open towards where the tabernacle of meeting was. And, And as they would come out their tent in the morning, the first thing they would see is the smoke ascending from the altar and they would realize, hmm, the reason why we can be right with God is because there is an innocent substitute that has been sacrificed and that is upon the altar and has died on our behalf and, and, and it awakened them every day with the only reason they could be right with God and approach God was because an innocent substitute had died on their behalf. And then every evening they would close their evening as they would kind of look back over their shoulder and they, or if they came out after dinner to you know, chat with their friends after a meal, they would see the smoke ascending once again. And, you know, I think what a great pattern that we would begin every day with a morning and an evening time of reflecting upon the Lord, spending some time with the Lord, reflecting upon the things of God, thinking about Jesus. And I can't think of a better pattern than to begin the day saying, Lord, this day, it belongs to you. And the only reason I can live with a clean conscience and peace in my heart and and enter into this day is because, Lord, I'm right with you because of the death of Jesus on my behalf. And thank you, Lord, that I can live this day with that assurance. And to be able to close out every day to be able to close out every day after we fail and stumble and kind of feel guilty for the thing we said we shouldn't or the way we acted or the attitude and to be able to kind of close out every evening saying, Lord, thanks. Yeah, I blew it a few times during the day, even though I was trying to walk with you, but Lord, thank you that it's all covered, that I can reflect upon your forgiveness and I can lay my head down on my pillow at night, not be guilty and condemned, but, but no, Lord, thank you. Thank you again. I pause to thank you and reflect upon that sacrifice that was offered. I think it's a great way to begin and to end our day. I can't think of a better way to do it. The Lord says, this shall be, verse 42, a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Notice where I will meet with you to speak with you and there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified. I think this is beautiful. God said it will be sanctified by my glory. That's how things are sanctified by the glory of God. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Notice the repetition of language there in verse 42 to 46 as God sort of brings this to a culmination all in context of the inauguration of the priesthood. He says in light of all these things, he says this is all because, verse 42, he says all these things because I want to meet with you. He says I will meet with you And I will speak with you. And he repeatedly says again and again, I will dwell among the children of Israel and be their God. I'm the Lord who brought them up out of Egypt and that I may dwell among them. Again, the idea being that God doesn't want to be aloof and disconnected. God wants to be involved in the lives of his people. God has always wanted to dwell in the midst of his people. And the only reason that God, in a sense, as a holy God, can dwell in the midst of his people and he can meet with us and speak with us is because of the altar of God and because of the sacrifice of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf and because... For us today, because of the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ, who allows us to come boldly to the throne of grace, to find mercy and grace that we need to help us in our time of need. But how wonderful to know that because of all those things that have been done in Jesus, as our great high priest, we have even greater access. And to know that the Lord wants to meet with you every day. Tomorrow morning, like that morning sacrifice, the Lord wants to meet with you. Oh, I get up and get up and meet with the Lord. You know what? He's already waiting for you to meet with you. You think you're meeting with Him? He's already waiting there. Go, is she going to meet with me? Is she going to meet with me? Or is she going to run out the door today? Is He going to meet with me, or is He too busy? He wants to meet with us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to be involved in our lives.